0: Well, I wanted to begin with a question, Uh, do you think of yourself as somebody who is driven by ambition? Would people who know you say that you're driven by ambition? In some circles, ambition is a negative word, perhaps in Christian circles it might be frowned upon. In other circles, ambition is a positive word, career advisors will regularly speak of the virtue personal ambition. But like a lot of things, I think ambition is fairly neutral. The key is what we are ambitious for. In fact, I think it's more than neutral. I think we are hardwired. We are created to be ambitious people to a certain extent. We are not created to coast through life on autopilots. As human beings, compared to other uh, parts of the created world, we are naturally exploratory. We are natural seekers, scientists. We are curious, we are creative. We are forward thinkers, we have a perspective of the future, we are visionaries to a certain degree because we have a hope for what tomorrow will look like. Now, those people who specialise in marketing and advertising have known for a long time that human beings are restless, ambitious people. I grabbed a a selection of screenshots of some recent magazine covers uh, that I I, um, found from my Apple News service, and I just sort of did some screenshots. And as we scroll through them, I just want you to notice the headlines and the imagery and maybe have a, a think about which of the particular uh, magazines might tap into your ambitions, your desires, and aspirations. Do you want to flick through for the? So we're not going to read all of the details, but you'll you might see a couple of them. You might see, oh, that 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 taps into the kind of things that I'm interested in. You can so- kind of see the language. You can go a bit slower one back. I just wanted to get those recipes. No, okay. <laughs> um, you can go to. But you can kind of see. Uh, there's just a range of different uh, uh, ones here, and you might, you know, you can you might be thinking, try to get the range of inside the house, outside the house, kind of thing. Watching any of those kind of headlines, kind of tap into your desires, the things that you can get fixated on. There might be other magazines that you can think of. We are going to be thinking today about our ambitions and our aspirations and our insecurities, which we all have. We're continuing our journey through uh, Matthew's Gospel, looking at Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And the passage we're looking at today addresses these ambitions. But as you read through it, the word ambition isn't there. But the word you do see a lot is the word worry, or the word for being anxious. It occurs six times in the space of ten verses. And what we're going to see is that our worries and our ambitions are closely related. The idea of ambition is spoken by Jesus in a variety of ways. In today's passage, he uses the phrase seek first, which we're going to come to. Seeking first captures the idea of ambition. Last week, Jesus referred to the idea of ambition as our treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I think these magazines that we just looked at stay in business because they play on the treasures of our hearts. In fact, last week, at the end, we, with David Smith, we saw a very blunt description of our earthly ambition using the language of uh, who or what is our master we saw this conclusion. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And today's passage begins with the word therefore, which means, as, as you might have heard before, you need to work out why the ver- what the therefore is therefore. It is therefore connecting us to this God and money, this duality. You cannot be ambitious for money and for God. You cannot cannot have money-making as your master and God as your master. You cannot seek first financial riches and riches with God. You cannot treasure God and your possessions at the same time. Now, for some of us, our desire for money will be a real struggle. We wrestle and worry about our bank balance. We find it very troubling when we lose track of our finances and we find it hard to give away just a little bit. We might directly feel tempted to have money as our master. But for many of us, it might not be money in terms of counting the numbers, but what money represents. Money promises control, freedom, security independence power and so to be free so to be free from the love of money and its mastery is not just being free from an obsession with our bank account but free from being chained to the false promises of security freedom power influence satisfaction significance that money provides And today, Jesus is going to unpack what it means to be free from the anxieties that come due to our bondage and servitude to things of this earth, things like money. And he talks about our worries. And you might have noticed, if you were reading the daily readings during the week, or as you heard this morning, he talks about our worries in two broad categories, worrying about our life and worrying about our body. Have a look there at verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6 Therefore I tell you do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body what you will wear Now on the surface it looks like they all kind of fall under the basic heading of worries about our life food drink our body clothing but I actually think he's referring to two broad types of worry and we're going to break them down just for a little bit First of all worrying about our life what shall we eat what shall we drink? Verse 27, when Jesus says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? We see that worrying about life is the kind of worry about our health, our longevity of our life, our survival, our personal security, those kind of worries. And there are a lot of those that we can kind of relate to. They're kind of the worries about, Surviving and, 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 and having, having a healthy, long healthy life. Now, in Jesus' time, shortage of food and drink would have been a very common worry that would have affected our health, more common than it is today. When we worry about food and drink, for the most part, we might worry about whether we're going to get takeaway or cook at home or worry about whether the restaurant's BYO or not. But we don't worry about food and drink usually when it comes to life and survival. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to their life? Some of us us are chronic worriers. Some of us might have developed the coping mechanism or strategy of worrying to avoid being surprised by negative things happening to you in the future. You might go to the doctor all the time, or you might not. You might worry about the longevity of your life by kind of avoiding going to funerals or going, avoiding talking about death or thinking about mortality. Our worries about our life will manifest itself in various different ways. And Jesus says, what your friends and your family have been saying to you many times, what is worrying achieving for you anyway? Can you really extend your life? Now, I love how this passage, Jesus uses the, the evidence of God's creation itself to show how irrational and unnecessary our worries are, and he asks us to look to the birds of the air, uh, you see in verse 26. Now, the point that he makes is not that the birds are kind of miraculously fed without any effort on their part, it's not like they're just sort of, you know, out of the sky, suddenly, boop, there's food, but their behaviour is not the behaviour of the worrier about their future, And when our family was stranded at Ulladulla on New Year's Eve, uh, in the middle of the fires, it was probably the closest I've come to as a parent to start worrying about the food supply for our family. The roads were blocked in and out of town. There was no petrol, no power. All the shops were closed. I took this photo (laughs) when I didn't know how long it would be to get more food. This was our breakfast, lunch and dinner for 36, 48 hours, I think it was. And I, to be honest, I was, I actually took that photo, not less because I was worried, but more to freak out my parents-in-law and just make them get worried about us. It's kind of fun. But anyway. But what was interesting, uh, when we finally got to be able to go to the supermarket, because there was a Woolies that was open, it was generator powered, and they still only had the supplies that were already in the town, uh, there were these reports of panic buying. You'd, you'd have people, um, filling up their trolleys with a ridiculous amount of supplies to help deal with their worries about how long is it going to be like this. So they were just sort of hoarding all these things and the, and the, 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 the shelves were being cleared out. Um, and these worries were um, really irrational for these people. It was interesting, actually. One of the funny things was you'd go in there and I, all the bread... Be com- the bread would be completely vacant, like the whole, you know, that 20 metres of where the bread usually... And I remember seeing there was this one little piece of plastic. I'm thinking, oh, there's one more piece of bread left. You go up the front, it's like a gluten-free wrap. <laughs> <laughs> people prefer to starve than have a gluten-free wrap. <laughs> <It's> quite... <laughs> Sorry, gluten-free people. Sorry, Dave, yeah. But it's interesting, uh, the, the imagery of panic buying is kind of like what we are doing with our life, Jesus is talking about, filling up life's trolley, because you don't want to miss out on any possible opportunity in the future. And this panic buying, it consumes us. So that's the first type of worry, the worrying about life, and Jesus says, don't. The second type of worry is worrying about our body. And in this example is what will we wear? Now here Jesus is talking less about worrying uh, whether we will have clothes to keep us warm and to survive. That doesn't seem to be the kind of what he's talking about. The clothing we see in this passage is more to do with reputation, significance, status, that kind of worry. And we can see that because the two examples Jesus uses, he's referring to this idea of splendor and beauty and standing out from the crowd or fitting in with the crowd, rather than survival and longevity. So for some of us, this literally might involve worrying about clothing. You might, you might be a person or you might know people who take forever to leave the house because they are worrying about what you're wearing. I remember in, in early high school, every time it was... Casual clothes day, mufti day, it was such a stress <laughs> because everyone used it as an opportunity to show off their brand name clothes. And I didn't have any brand name clothes. On the... oh, no, <laughs> One birthday, I got a Quicksilver t shirt. I'm not into surfing, <laughs> but I got a Quicksilver t shirt and I wore it proudly on the first opportunity I had. And then the next mufty day came around, and I wore it again, and then I got mocked for wearing the same shirt twice. <laughs> I remember that was when I was sort of worrying about those kind of things. But what is going on at this kind of worry at a deeper level? And look at the examples that Jesus refers to. He, he asks us to look at the lilies of the field. Now, I don't want to put that photo. I'm not a horticulturalist, but apparently this is the mountain tulip. David Simp, tell me if that's correct or not. This is found in Israel. Uh, and a little bit of research this week, this could be one of the flowers that Jesus was referring to when he talked about the lilies of the field. The point Jesus is making is, pause for a moment, and just look at how impressive God's creation is. He can make something as beautiful and intricate as the mountain tulip, which might last only a matter of weeks or months. And then he says, in verse 29, okay, look at that. Now think of the wealthiest person you know, Solomon. Well, you didn't know him personally, but the wealthiest person in their history, Solomon. Anybody didn't need to worry about money and clothing, it was Solomon and Jesus. Even Solomon, with all his material possessions, couldn't present himself as impressive and beautiful as the lilies of the field. Jesus is calling all who believe and trust their Heavenly Father in this passage to consider his creation. Now, it's not so much command here, this whole passage, don't worry. It's actually an argument. It's persuasion. He's showing really how ridiculous our worries are by first pointing to the rest of creation and saying that other parts of God's creation are sustained, the birds of the the air, they're made beautiful, the lilies of the field. Why on earth would you think that God would not also be concerned for us? And here's a really important premise. Are you not much more valuable than the rest of creation? Now, this idea and this truth is becoming increasingly controversial in recent years, that human life is... Of uh, of greater value than other life, it's part in part controversial for good reasons because we have uh, damaged a lot of our uh, uh, of of God's creation. Uh, we have caused harm to a lot of God's creation. How can we be more valuable? But without a view of uh, God as creator, and as we read in Genesis, humanity being made in the image of God, it's very easy to see the logic of those who will argue that animal rights carry at least the same rights as human rights. But Jesus says, no, you are so much more valuable. Now, this has been intuitive for humanity throughout history. All life is valuable, but human life is of greater value. But why do we still worry? if If we're intuitively behave this way, Well, Jesus says we worry because, verse 30, we have little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Faith is a word that means believe or trust. We struggle to believe, to trust, not so much in the value of our life, because the reason we are ambitious, we have some sense of the value of our life, but... We struggle to believe and trust that our heavenly Father values us even more than the rest of his creation. And more than that, we struggle to believe and have faith that God has a future for us. Now, all worries, by their definition, are future oriented, they're they're related to the future. You can't worry about the past. And Jesus is saying here that the mark of an unbeliever is that they're panic buying. They don't know the future, so they are running after life supplies to make their life feel worthwhile to reduce that anxiety of uncertainty. Just fill up the trolley. Don't worry about who misses out. They panic buy because they don't know their Heavenly Father's provision. His love, they don't have a hope, more accurately, a certainty about tomorrow. What is the solution then for our worries as Christians? How do we stop our worrying? I want to make a a little bit of a disclaimer here that you might have picked up as as we are looking at this. This passage isn't talking directly about uh, clinical depression, various uh, uh, clinical uh, realities of mental health concerns and uh, anxiety disorders, it plays into that. We need to acknowledge if you are somebody who has uh, a a worry that you are uh, struggling with, uh, that is consuming you, this passage will have something to say to you. But it's also worth noting that this passage is really not pretending to diagnose every part of the human psyche and every part of it. It's, not, it's making the point that worrying is linked to unbelief, not believing something. It's, it's struggling to believe something about yourself and about the future. Knowing it, but struggling to believe it. So if you're someone here who has uh, anxiety or, 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 or depression or those kind of mental, please don't hear this as over simply saying, well, it's because you're, you're not trusting God. But I do pray that these words from Jesus about our Heavenly Father's care for you will be of benefit. Thomas Chalmers, uh, the, the Puritan writer, famously spoke, famously spoke of the expulsive power, Of a new affection. He argued that you can't just stop being angry or stop worrying in a vacuum. For us to stop worrying, he says, we need the expulsive power of a new affection. It's only when our ambitions are redirected towards what God has created us for that our anxieties subside. And what's the new affection we see there in verse 32? Seek first, be ambitious for his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It's interesting. Jesus mentions two things for us to be ambitious for in life now, and they almost are the parallels of the two worries mentioned earlier. Instead of worrying about our life. Be ambitious for God's kingdom, the eternal kingdom, where Jesus rules in perfection. Seek first his kingdom, rather than trying to add days to your life. And instead of worrying about our body, our significance, our value, our worth, and our identity in the eyes of others, be ambitious for righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is what God thinks matters most for us, Now today, we don't have the time to unpack Jesus' teaching on the kingdom and righteousness, but as you read through the New Testament, you see they are both gifts given to us by Jesus through his death and his resurrection. They're not things that we earn, but invitations that we can accept and reject. Our anxieties and our worries about life won't subside long-term through mindfulness through meditation techniques. It might help you in the short term. But the worries that Jesus talks about here will only be dealt with when we have a radically different worldview about our identity in Christ. We are righteous and that's what our future is. Now the final verse as we finish is a little bit confusing in the English Uh, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think the rendering of this call is actually more accurately uh, translated as something along the lines of don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is sorted. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is sorted. Now, in the light of this Sermon on the Mount, when we hear about tomorrow, we're thinking about God's eternal kingdom. This whole series has been called, uh, give us today our daily bread, uh, uh, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus has our tomorrow sorted. He has died and he has risen again Our tomorrow is secure. Our status before God and the longevity of our life is secure. Don't worry about it. It's sorted. Today has enough troubles of its own. Now, that's not, am I going to, um, how how am I going to get the kids to school, all those things. The troubles of today are the troubles of making God our master, not money. The things of heaven, God's thing. They're the troubles that should concern us today, faithfulness to God. Well, I'm just going to give us just a moment now to come before our Heavenly Father, before we pray together the Lord's Prayer, which will come up on the screen. Now, the Lord's Prayer, I think, helps us. It comes in the context of this sermon, and it helps us orient ourselves to the things of heaven to help us in the presence. So just take a moment to come before God in the quietness of your own hearts and then we'll pray together the Lord's Prayer as it comes up on the screen.